Well, good morning uh, again, everyone. We have been uh, reading together about David's life from the books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, David is the king now over the whole nation. He has established a capital city in Jerusalem. And Second uh, Samuel 8 is a, is a broad summary uh, of the way that the kingdom expands widely under David's administration. But chapter 9, which is what we're going to look at this morning, is a more intimate picture of the way that David carried his leadership during that period of time. So I'm going to read Second uh, Samuel 9 for us now. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodavar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodavar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, really that you would use this story of David's kindness to point us to even what David understood it to be, a picture of your kindness to people like us. Father, show us this more clearly, uh, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Allison, my wife and I, we went on our first date uh, back in the winter of 1992. Uh, And because even though I was a a, a broke college kid, uh, I I splurged on this really fancy place uh, that had recently chosen Chicago to be the first location of their national expansion. Maybe some of you have heard of this very fancy place. It's called Starbucks. (laughs) We got coffee and we walked around on the mean streets of the Gold Coast and we talked. Uh, And that was it for our first date. We just walked and we talked. 
And I got back to my dorm uh, that night, and I told everybody uh, that I thought it was a really great date and that I was looking forward to asking her out again. Uh, but unbeknownst to me, Allison went home to her dorm that evening and told everybody that it was a pretty boring date and that she did not expect that I would ever call her back, but that if I did, she was going to say no. So I'm glad I didn't know that. Of course, I waited a couple days, and then I called her on the old landline because, of course, that was the only option anyone had in those days. And when Allison picked up the phone, she sounded uh, groggy. She sounded like she had been sleeping. Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't make any small talk or anything. I think I just said hi, and I asked her if she wanted to go out again. So I hope the fact, right, that I'm telling you this story almost 30 years later makes it obvious that she did say yes, but I hope that it's also just as obvious how that small miracle happened. It is because I caught her totally off guard. <laughs> Not only did I wake her from a dead sleep with that phone call, I also presented her with a situation that she was not prepared for, that she didn't expect after that bomb of a first date. So that worked out pretty good for me. Um, I hope that she can say the same uh, for her. And I think uh, that this gives us a little window into the story that we just read together because Mephibosheth finds himself in a wholly unexpected situation, caught totally off guard. I mean, like, like waking from a dead sleep, I'm sure that it was disorienting to him. You know, not, not so much that David uh, summonsed him to his court. I suspect that he had always held out the possibility that that might happen one day. No, it's what David does for him there that is completely unexpected. It catches him off guard, um, but in the best way. And David's kindness is not simply a compelling moral example. It is a pointer to God's kindness for people like us. So at this point in the story, uh, David is at the apex of his power and his influence. Chapter 8 of 2 Samuel makes that really clear. Chapter 8 is mostly a recording of military accomplishments and political appointments, but even so, it makes it uh, super clear that all of the religious and military and economic and political machinery are running at peak performance. David is now ruling over an empire, uh, not a place that's ruled or colonized by another power, and it's unparalleled. But there is this little sentence in chapter 8 that really outshines all of that stuff as it relates to being a king over God's people. It's in verse 15 of chapter 8 that says, David administered justice and equity to all his people. David administered justice and equity to all his people. I mean, here's what we got to remember. we got to remember that the king over God's people, they had one main job. They did a ton of other stuff, but their main job, the most important job, was for them to serve as a witness. They served as a witness to the fact that God ruled in justice and in grace over his people. 
And so that uh, little line uh, from chapter 8 is the storyteller's way of saying that insofar as any human being can ever serve as a witness to God's rule, David is doing it. And it's beautiful. So this is, this is Ascension Sunday. We heard that in the call to worship later. We'll sing this beautiful Ascension hymn. This is the day that we remember and that we celebrate that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God to rule us and to rule the whole world in grace and in power. And in one of the places where the Apostle Paul uh, talks about Jesus' ascension uh, in Ephesians 4, this is how he describes it. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave good gifts to men. When Jesus ascended, he led us to freedom. And then he gave us good gifts, including his own spirit, to live out his rule in this world in peace and in joy. And right now, at this moment in David's life, he is a pointer to our ascended king. Right now, at this moment, he is using all of his good gifts, all of the talent, all of the skill that he has been given, and believe me, those things, as we know, were substantial. He is using all of those things for the good of others. He is giving good gifts away. And chapter 9 is this shining, uh, really intimate, personal example of that. Because in verse 1, this is what David asks. He says, listen, is there anyone left in the house of Saul to which I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David wants to use what he has to show kindness. In verse 3, he calls it the kindness of God. And that word uh, that gets translated as kindness there is actually a really, really powerful word. In Hebrew, it's, it's a word uh, that's hard to get over in English. It's a word that's sometimes translated as love or Loyalty, sometimes a steadfast love or steadfast faithfulness. It's the word that the scripture writers prefer to use to talk to God, about God, and the way that he shows fidelity to the promises that he has made to us. It's the word they prefer to talk about God's love for us. And so as David has been loved with fidelity, he now wants to love with fidelity. He wants to show the kindness of God. And I think it's worth pausing for a minute uh, to ask about this in your life and in mine. (laughs) I mean, I know, as far as I know, none of us are kings at the apex of our power. I know that. But as followers of Jesus, (laughs) we have been loved. We have been loved with an unfaltering fidelity. We have been loved with a costly and very lavish grace. It is a gift that we never earned and that we never had to earn. (laughs) And Jesus, uh, by his spirit, has given each of us, every one of us, good gifts to be used for the building up of the church. He has given us good gifts to be used for the life of this world and part of us growing up in our faith, part of us 
trying to mature in our faith is you and I asking ourselves and asking one another and asking God, what am I supposed to do with all of these gifts and all of this grace? And the consistent always answer from Scripture comes back, we're to use those things for the good of others. That is the shape of our life together. That's the shape of our life, to resist the pull of keeping the things that we have been given only for ourselves or only for those close to us or only around those of us that we like, and to give them away, to give the good gifts away as lavishly and as generously as they have been given to us. So I encourage you to think of concrete, red-blooded, on-the-street ways to do that to give away the good gifts that you have been given. And here's the thing, church, when we do that, (laughs) when we do that, we serve as witnesses to our ascended king. I mean, this is what Jesus taught us. He said, they will see your good works. Jesus said this, they will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the background to this story is the promise that David and Jonathan made to one another. You might remember that promise. We talked about it uh, back in February. It was a promise of friendship, and it was beautiful. They said, God will be between you and me forever. (laughs) It's an incredible promise. And so that's why David is looking for someone from Saul's house. And so through this guy, Ziba, he finds out that Jonathan had a son. And the backstory of the son is from, you can read about it in 2 Samuel 4, um, when he was five, after the household of Saul heard that Saul and Jonathan had been killed at the Battle of Gilboa, the household of Saul fled for their lives in fear. I mean, that's what you do when your king is killed by the enemy king. You, You run for your life. And while uh, his nurse was running, uh, she dropped him, and his feet were injured, and the bones uh, didn't set well. And so he is uh, unable to walk now, and he has lived in exile for the last 20 years in a village so obscure and so hidden that even today, people are not sure where it was. And David calls him to come. And so this is where we need to flip things around and try to view it from Mephibosheth's perspective. Who knows really what he has been thinking of David for all of these long years. He's only known David from stories that have been told to him by people who were loyal to Saul's house, people who probably had a really dim view of David. But of course, everyone knew how ancient Near Eastern kingships worked. When there was a change in power, the sons of the former house were eliminated. That's just how it worked. And Mephibosheth had lived his whole life with that knowledge in exile, knowing right well that he could be viewed as a claimant to David's throne, that he could be viewed as an insurrectionist. And you can tell 
just by the way that he talks about himself, that he has internalized all of this for his whole life. All of this fear, all of this misfortune, all of this obscurity, and all of this pain. So can you imagine what it would have been like to be summoned to come to David's court? The day that he hoped would never come has finally arrived. And when he leaves his little village, I'm sure that he thought it was for a death march. And so when he arrives, he does what anyone would do in that situation. He falls on his face in fear and he pays homage to the king. And into that pregnant moment, into that fearful silence, David begins with one word, Mephibosheth. (laughs) He says his name. He says his name to him. And I wish we could read tone, you know, off words of a page, but I do not doubt for one second that he heard his name more kindly than he had ever dreamed that he would hear it that day. And I know that's true because of what David says to him next. He says, man, don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And thus begins the adoption of Mephibosheth into a family and into a home that he didn't have to earn. You know, caught off guard, (laughs) like waking from a dead sleep, rising from this abandoned and totally forgotten life. He finds himself in a situation he never expected, a new life that he had never let himself dare to dream of. In church, it is all of grace, the kindness of God poured out on him. He's not going to live in dusty Lodavar anymore. You know where he's going to live? He's going to live on all the lands that his grandfather Saul had ever owned. He's not going to be in exile, forgotten and fearful. He is going to be a member of the royal house. And the most beautiful symbol that that's true is what David says to him. David says to him, you will eat at my table always. And that is precisely what happened. Verse 11 says, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, shoulder to shoulder with them like a son. And church, I think that it would do you and I a great deal of good to see ourselves right there. Because his story is our story too. (laughs) Like we sometimes say together in the great Thanksgiving, once we were no people. And now we are God's people. Through the great and costly kindness of his life and death and resurrection and ascension, Jesus has given us the right, he's given us the right to be called the children of God. Because of this costly and lavish kindness, Jesus has arranged our adoption, 
our adoption as daughters and sons in the family of God through this great and costly kindness. Jesus has given us, you and me, he has given us a place to feast at the table of the king forever, shoulder to shoulder. Church, we belong at that table. And so it's good. It's good to to wake up and to be caught off guard by this today or every day of our lives. For the first time or for the thousandth time, it's good for us to wake up and be caught off guard and remember that because of Jesus, unexpectedly and totally unearned, we have been made a part of the family of God. Because when we wake up like that, to that kindness and to those gifts, the grateful shape of the life that we have been made for becomes more clear. It, it clarifies. It comes into focus as receivers of kindness. We become givers of kindness. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us in whatever, I don't know what you need to do for all of us, <laughs> but that you would use whatever means you need to help us to wake up into this again, to this good news, this unexpected, unbelievably lavish good news that we have been made your daughters and sons by the love of Jesus. Father, help us to see this lavish kindness and to in turn be able to give that same kindness, that same kind of love that you have given to us away for the good of this world, for the life of this world, for the good of our neighbors. Father, do this so that we'll grow up in our faith. so that we'll become more mature as followers of Jesus. And do this so that through us, you can love this broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.